Welcome to the Solo Women RV Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and advice from solo women RVers, van lifers, and campers who are making their travel dreams come true. Whether you're just getting started in solo travel or are a seasoned expert, this show is for you. Join us. Just because you're solo doesn't mean you're alone. Here's your host, Kathy Belch. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode number 40. My guest today is Carrie Comback. Actually, this is my second time having Carrie as a guest. Carrie was on in episode number 36, where we talked a lot about Starlink. In this episode, uh, we recorded this one a few weeks before that episode, where we dove a little bit more into Carrie's RV life story. So I want to share that here. Carrie was following your typical American dream. She had a successful career, a marriage. But, you know, something was missing. So in this episode, Carrie tells us how she went from being a high-powered Manhattan professional to living in a Class C RV, then a pop-up trailer, and then a built-out Sprinter van. Carrie eventually settled on a piece of land that she bought, but she still does travel up much of the year. Um, I also want to note that we did dive in a bit Um, in this episode about how Carrie stayed connected while working full-time on the road all those years. And we did talk a bit about Starlink, but I did cut that part out of the interview because so much has changed and you can find out more about that in episode number 36. So here's my interview with Carrie. Enjoy. Well, hello, Carrie. Uh, Carrie, my guest today is Carrie. Uh, Carrie is a well, was a full-time RVer for five years and now is down to part-time. And we're going to kind of get into Carrie's story and all about how she started and what that was like living for five years on the road. So hello, Carrie, and welcome to the Solo Women RV Podcast. Hey, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So I want to hear a little bit about your origin story, how it is that you came about living in I don't know if you started out in a van or RV, so why don't you just kind of tell us how you started out, what you started out in? Uh, well, it was a 1987, 23-foot Toyota Odyssey. So uh, people are familiar with it as a Toyota Dolphin. It's actually the slightly larger version. It's the 23-foot, so it's the biggest oh, one they yeah. ever made. Also one of the last RVs Toyota ever made. So and it's kind of like a Class C. It is a Class C, yeah, yeah. exactly. It's just a, a smaller Class C compared to what a lot of people are seeing. Yeah. Um, so I got on the road. I am a, an ambitious young woman who, uh, went something silly, like got a PhD. I got married at 22 because that was the thing you're supposed to do. Got a job, uh, that had me working. Like I literally had an office that looked over wall street. Um, because that's the key to happiness, right? Doing what other people tell us that we're supposed to do or society dictates. So had this like on paper, very successful life, but unfortunately didn't make choices that were consistent with what I wanted to do or the life that would have made me happy. Mm -hmm. And so I went through a period in about 2015 when I did finish my PhD, but I also got another job that was just the right job to take, but not actually a really good fit. Um, and was going through a hard time in my marriage, ended up getting a divorce, ended up my position was eliminated at the job. And so just really kind of got to an all-time low in, in my life. And as a workaholic, losing that job was actually 
arguably harder than the divorce. So it was kind of in this place where I was trying to reevaluate like what I wanted with my life. And I discovered this woman who lived in an RV in New York city. Cause that's where I was living in on YouTube of all things. And I just like okay. binged all of her videos. And of course that led me to kind of more popular social media um, outlets like cheap RV living Carolyn's RV life, you know, mm-hmm. things I don't necessarily watch now, but kind of got me into, uh, exposed me to the greater lifestyle. And actually some of those people like Joni from the Galavan or Amber from, um, story chasing actually ended up be- becoming good friends of mine that I met through some of those, um, okay. through some of those channels. Yeah. Okay. So you're living in New York city, some big high rise, Um, you're going through a divorce, you lost your job. So you find this YouTube channel and all of a sudden it just click. This is what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sort of, well, I had a stepping stone and I didn't live in a high rise. I lived in a houseboat in the Bronx, which is actually, it's not nearly as glamorous as it sounds, or maybe it is just as glamorous as it sounds. I don't know. (laughs) Um, it almost sank twice. It almost caught fire. Like that was the start of my point in my life where I was like, I do not need to live here anymore. Okay. <laughs> so I moved to California for a little bit. When I left that job in New York city, I was in a position where they gave me some severance. And when I moved to California, I tried San Francisco for about a year, um, decided it wasn't really a good fit for me to live there. I transitioned to a tech role, which would allow me to work remotely. Mm. Um, and I actually bought my first RV that that class C with that severance money. And I was able to get out on the road, um, part-time to kind of, you know, inspired again by some of these, uh, big YouTube channels that I was watching. And I'm really glad I did it part-time because it gave me the opportunity to learn while still having a comfortable place to live because I was renting a home in San Francisco for a period of time. And when your RV breaks down on you constantly, uh, which that class C, the Toyota did, um, it was really nice to be able to like have a place that I could go back to. Cause I did, I had to leave it in Truckee, California for two weeks. I had to Sacramento at some point. And so it was really just nice to have a place to go back to, as opposed to just being stuck in the middle of nowhere when I had obligations like a job at the time and, you know, people that I wanted to see. So it was, I I mean, I had the ability to do that because I was working full time Mm -hmm. or to have effectively two residences at the same time, the class C and the place I was renting. Okay. So kind of what did you do then when you were working full time and then you broke down in the middle of somewhere, like, how did you handle that? Well, um, I spent a lot of money on mobile mechanics. Um, fortunately it was, it was a really weird quirk of the vehicle, but it was actually something that could be fairly easily fixed. Mm. Right. I thought. So when I broke down in Truckee the first time they kept it for two weeks because there was a bunch of stuff that they needed, they claimed they needed to do to it. And I, didn't really have a good sense of like what was going on. Um, as I repeatedly, as I was having the same problem, I learned more about the problem. And mm. so by the time it broke down the fifth time, I had a good sense of like, okay, I recognized the symptoms and pulled over and was able to find a mechanic and actually understand a, a mobile mechanic is only incentivized to get me on the road again. They're not mm. incentivized to actually like find the, to diagnose the issue and solve it in a long-term fashion. Right. And so what was happening? So for a little bit of clarity, this is, this is really weird. Um, I kept popping belts. So in other words, oh. like the belts themselves, like it was, um, 
don't know if it's a serpentine belt that goes, but it was the one that was powering the fan in my engine. And so the first time I broke down, I lost power and it was overheating and I didn't quite understand why. Well, as it turns out, that belt also um, runs your alternator. Um, and so the flicker, the electrical flicker that I witnessed was, it was the same issue and the, bop had, mm. the belt had popped. And of course the first mechanic was just like, well, you know, it could be the, it could be the pulleys. We just, you know, it's a, it's a 30 year old vehicle, probably just a broken belt. I had replaced that belt before yeah. I got up I replaced everything that was rubber in it. And it wasn't. And so by the, the fourth time the belt popped, I was like, okay, it's, and, and, you know, all the mechanics kept telling me, oh, someone probably over-tightened it or mm, yeah. size one on there. And like, there's just like, what are the chances that I'm going to have four separate incompetent mechanics, mm-hmm. probably something systematic, right. but here's what it ended up being. I, so I broke down your Sacramento and I was able to actually go on Yelp, mm-hmm. find a well-rated mechanic. And I found someone who could fit me in fortunately, and they went in with a a, uh, a digital, they, they were able to like show me how hot different parts of my engine were. Right. And so they're running my engine and the alternator was overheating and melting the belts. Oh, right. So it's just, mm, yeah. just bizarre. so anyway, I fixed, I replaced it with a high end component, sold that vehicle because I wanted to get full-time on the road within the next couple of months. Um, and that wasn't going to work for me because I didn't mm-hmm. trust it, even though the yeah. engine beautiful. So I guess the, the, the red flag here was if you get a 30 year old vehicle that is beautiful on the inside, new wallpaper, like absolutely gorgeous and only has 23,000 miles on it. It's a red flag that it's a 30 year old vehicle with only 23,000 miles on it. I don't care if it's a Toyota. I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Good advice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm driving a 20 year old vehicle and the first two years were fine, but these past two years now I'm mm-hmm. running into more and more it's in the shop right now as a matter of fact. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I understand it's a, I got online and started pricing like newer vehicles and I'm like, Oh no, I'm going to get this one fixed. Well, <laughs> and that's, and that's the decision that you made at this point, I had put $7,000 into the vehicle that I had oh. only paid 7,000 for. So oh, okay. it, was, it was one of those things where, I mean, granted a lot of that was mobile mechanics. A lot of it was just like trying to replace random parts that we thought were wrong, but it just got to a point where I was like, I'm being taken advantage of, or I just can't, because it was such a weird thing. I didn't want to keep putting more money into it. So I opted to get my next rig, which was actually a trailer and a Toyota Highlander hybrid, which could tow 3,500 pounds. And I uh, towed an A-liner and I lived in that A-liner for a year, a year and a half full-time. That's actually what I hit the road in. And so an um, A-liner is, is like a pop-up, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard-sided pop-up. So technically you can go into um, national parks with them. So the soft-sided pop-ups, they're worried bears can get through, which is true. Um, But a hard-sided pop-up actually has structure to it. So think of it like a, um, it's like a, uh, a cardboard uh, triangle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) got like nine different parts that I had to like put together. It was like a jigsaw puzzle every time I put it up, but I will say it was lightweight. It was 2000 pounds. I could tow it anywhere. It was an incredibly Mm. forgiving rig. I was, they're not priced very highly. So I could pay cash for it at the time um, after selling my other rig and I could tow it behind the vehicle I had, which at the time was the uh, Toyota Highlander hybrid. 
Okay. And how long were you in, in the A-frame? Uh, I was in the A-frame for about a year and a half. Okay. And to be fair, it never gave me any problems. Like it mechanically, it was fine. Um, the issue was it was highly inconvenient because like tra travel trailers are kind of like the least convenient of setups because you have to not only, you have the added effort of towing, mm -hmm. um, and you have to set it up for tow, but this one is even higher level of effort to get it set up because I had to either, I had to take everything down and put it back up and it's great. It was like airy. It was like a pop-up tent effectively. Yeah. So I had a lot of space. I had these big, beautiful windows. It was easy to heat, easy to cool, easy to tow, incredibly forgiving. I'll, I'll keep saying that because I got myself into some really stupid situations with it, but it, you know, never let me down, but I'm a five foot six person and I can't lift very easily something that needs to go up seven foot, which is mm. what's done. So I just found it increasingly difficult to lift it as often as I wanted to move. And okay. so some people stay in an area for weeks or months at a time, I find my travel cadence, especially that first couple of years I was on the road, I was moving every couple of days or, you know, yeah. once a week going across Arizona, visiting family, visiting friends, like going to all these different RV events. And so it just ended up being too, it wasn't as convenient as I had wanted, but the other thing was they are not great in the wind and I, nothing catastrophic ever happened, but if you think about it, it's really lightweight. It is yeah. like, you can think about a lot of RVs as like, you know, kind of like cardboard boxes or fiberboard boxes that have been right. kind of stapled together. This one wasn't even stapled together. I had to put it together every single time. And so we had windstorm. Oh. Southeast is kind of a notorious for having like January windstorms. And so three, four years ago, when I was in, in Joshua tree, I remember pretty mm. vividly. Um, 50, 60 mile an hour winds. And while the, the thing itself was fine, like it didn't go anywhere, but it was loud. And I thought I didn't trust it. I didn't trust yeah. the social integrity of my home. And I had my friends bring their trucks and like put a little barrier around me because that's what I needed to feel comfortable to sleep. And so that was the point I started shopping for vans online Okay, <laughs> was Joshua tree, Joshua tree in January. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. It sounds, and I'm imagining the A-liner wasn't very warm or insulated. It wasn't, but it, um, but that was a, a plus and a minus. So the plus was it wasn't a large area. So like, as long as I was willing to get propane, like once, uh, a lot of times it was a small space. So the, the furnace itself was actually overpowered for the mm. space. So it was actually pretty easy to heat and I had a thermostat in there so I could adjust it. So because I was able to set it at like, let's say 60 degrees, mm -hmm. um, it would maintain it pretty well. And, 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 you know, I burned through probably more propane than a van of similar size would, but still not as much as say like a class A of a larger size, right. actually easy to heat because I had that, that propane furnace. Um, and it was great to cool because I mean, you're, I mean, you're in a van, you know, I've gone through in my van, I've gone through three different air conditioners to try to figure out how to cool the damn thing. Mm. Oh, sorry, forgive my language. You can cut that out. Um, to cool the van. It was really easy to cool my A-frame because I had these big, beautiful windows that I could open up. Right. It, was, it, it had, um, fabric that would cover it. So I could insulate to an extent, but like it had, um, a built-in air conditioner, which was a window unit, just kind of stuck in the side. It was really awkward to look at, but that 500, that 5,000 BTU unit cooled it like, and it only used five or 600 Watts when it was on. And so it was incredibly easy to heat and cool. I wouldn't say it was efficient to heat. Right. Or cool, though. Gotcha. 
Yeah. All right. So then you ended up in a van. Yeah. So Calypso is my uh, 23 foot um, Mercedes Sprinter. And I have had her for gosh, three and a half years now. Um, because I ordered, I ordered, I was so eager to get a van. I found one on CarMax and I ordered it sight unseen and brought it to Tucson, Arizona and had it, had it meet me in Tucson, Arizona. Um, and at the time it was a good deal. Yeah. Looking looking at today's prices, it's actually in value. So like I paid 25,000 for it with 23, it's a 2012, it had 23,000 miles on it. And that was a steal at the time. It, it is now worth the Kelly blue book, even with 50,000 more miles on it is 30 K. So yeah. it, it has appreciated in value, which is not something I thought I would ever say about a van. And ha- and did you build it out or was it built out when you got I it? Did. So I, Oh no, it was just an empty cargo van. Okay. Uh, I did two different versions of this van. The first version was me in my driveway, in my, in my, in my family members driveway in a late spring in the Sierra mountains. <laughs> so I was snowed on like three times, oh. didn't have a, and I worked full time. So I was working 40 hours a week and then would like come out in the afternoons. And so I did kind of like what I call my 1.0 build or my point, point, point nine build. Yeah. But, but the goal was to get on the road just to see what I liked. Mm. And so sure. My ceiling was falling out when I was driving sometimes, but you know, it, no. It's fine. It's fine. Um, so I, I did the insulation. I did the electric myself plus or minus some, you know, strapping male friends to help me like lift the solar panels up. Mm. I did the wiring. I had my family member help me maneuver some things into the van, but 90% of the labor that went into that first build was, was me. Um, and I, I'm glad I did that because I learned the systems. I can go in there and diagnose anything in that electrical system. Mm. I mean, I've had only like one or two issues, um, but I learned a lot in the process and really not had a, not had a serious issue since. Okay. That's great. So, so, uh, version two of your van, I paid someone because I recognize that first of all, my time is worth Mm. something. Mm-hmm. And my safety is worth something. And so I'm going to pay someone who knows what they're doing, but because I'd been living on the road for quite some time, um, I moved, I wasn't living, I wasn't paying San Francisco rent. I was still working full time. I got myself out of student loan debt. I was able to put a generous and eventually I was able to, at the end of my story, I'll tell you, I put a good amount of money down on a house that I bought mm-hmm. now, but like at the time, um, I could afford to put some money into this because my cost of living was so low. And I found someone on Craigslist. His name is Alec Seagal Siegel. He lives in Denver. Highly recommend him. He, okay. um, he's a former, well, he's a tiny home builder and uh, happened to be spending the winter in Tucson, which is where I was hanging out for a while. And we basically just found a spare driveway and he was able to build it out in about a week, two weeks. Oh, wow. That's incredible. You never yeah, hear about that. So, well, I knew because I'd lived in the van for some time. I knew exactly what I wanted. I had the layout figured out. We had to, there were a couple of design decisions that I made that actually we could have done it in a week. He was working full time on it. I was working at my day job. So he, I wasn't in his space, but I was available. So I was in the area. I was working, 
Um, so if he had questions, he could just pop in and ask me. So we didn't have the typical delays. And the only thing he was working on was my van. Yeah. And, um, it actually worked out really well. Um, if I were to do another van build, I would go to him again in a heartbeat. Okay. That's a good recommendation. So what were the things that you found essential then after living for so many years in an RV and then a pop-up that you wanted in your van? Uh, I just wanted, mostly I wanted the convenience. So in my van, I can roll out of a spot in five minutes. I basically need to take the stuff out of my, off my, off my counters and put them in the sink or put them on the bed or something like that. I wanted a permanent workspace, Mm -hmm. um, comfortable workspace. And the difference between version one and version two, version one, I had my workspace, like facing my bed. I don't know why it seemed like the right place to do it at the time. Cause I wanted to prioritize seating towards the van door so I could lounge or something. Um, that staring at your bed is not the view you want when you're working okay. probably better than a cubicle, but it felt like a cubicle. And so I moved my, my desk. So it was right next to the sliding door. And that mm. has two advantages. When I have the door open, people aren't going to surprise me when they walk up, but more importantly, I have a beautiful view. I get to look out my sliding door and get the fresh air and like, see what's going on outside, especially when I have a dog who is often on a tether and mm-hmm. I want to see if other dogs are coming by and uh, be able to keep an eye on him while I'm working. So hundred percent lit. Like, I am so glad that I had the opportunity to try out some of my hypotheses. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. You know, I learned a lot between version one and version two. Yeah. Well, you must've learned a lot just being out there five (laughs) years. I mean, and, and so, so you were out there the first, you were in your first vehicle that kept breaking down. Were there moments when you were like, I'm done. I want to just like, I can't handle this anymore. Nope. Nope. Even despite that, I was like, I want more of this. Um, you know, talk a little bit about the why then. What oh. was it about it that just, that just yeah. resonated with you? Um, I mean, you guys can't see this, but like I'm on video with Kathy and I can see myself grinning like an idiot. So maybe okay. you can hear my voice, but like, um, at first it was chasing novelty. So I knew I, when I lived in New York city, as an example, I had a car, which is not a very good dis- financial decision, especially when you're making $20,000 a year as a graduate student. Um, but I found it incredibly important for my mental health to be able to get out. And so I'd visit friends in Philly. I'd visit friends in Boston. I would go in the middle of Jersey to go camping just to get out of the city. Um, and so I always had this travel, you know, itchy feet, I think is the mm-hmm. expression, right? And so despite the fact that I had all of these financial setbacks, I was still able to progress my career, advance my career. Like this never got in the way because I did so in kind of a responsible way, which was to make sure I had a reliable setup on the road before I, and it never affected, that's not true. Mm. It affected my work once or twice, but not enough to make a significant impact. And then, um, so yeah. And then I was just having so much fun. Like I went to slab city. I got to see, I still think East Jesus is one of the coolest, like art, you know, found yeah. art relations. I was able to go to Bend, Oregon. I'd never been out there. And I just, I grew up in Alaska. So that's probably part of okay. it. Too. I just love going out and seeing new things and being able to explore. My friend calls it bear goes over the mountain syndrome, which is kind of like, <laughs> you know, the bear goes over the mountain to see what he could see. Right. Like there, I like to go out and see what's over that hill. There can be, I'm one of those people that like rigs don't turn my head, but like random forest roads, like going towards mountains that turns my head. (laughs) All right. 
So what kind of challenges did you run into then working? I mean, were you working 40 hours a week? Yep. Yep. Well, plus or minus, but yeah, on average 40 hours a week. Um, How did you make that work? Yeah. Well, the first job I had was in San Francisco and I was able to take weeks at a time working remotely because I was an online teacher. Um, it was a remote program before remote programs, you know, post pandemic, that's a little more common. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I sought out positions that would give me that flexibility. Um, but also I changed careers. So I had been a laboratory scientist. I worked in genetics and while that was cool and I still enjoy talking about it and reading about it, you're kind of stuck in a lab. Yeah. Um, and you can't really do like travel, traveling scientists that doesn't, you know, unlike traveling nurse, traveling scientists doesn't really exist. So changing careers or moving laterally into another role that used my skills, but could be applied independent of a place was what I did. So I'm now what's called a data scientist where I sort of, where I use statistics and the scientific method to help make business decisions. Instead okay. of learning about the natural world, I learn about business processes. Um, so that was the first thing. And the, you know, the challenge wasn't really a challenge because I was able to experiment as I was doing, as I was part-time that first year in the class C, because I was like figuring out what solar situation I need, how much power do I need? Um, what, uh, what does reliable internet look like? How to find those reliable sites? And so, and then I also found resources online such as uh, Campendium is still one of my favorite apps for finding sites, they're reviewed. Mm -hmm. um, though, and you can look for keywords like shotgun shells everywhere or needles on the ground. Those are some okay. things to avoid. Um, <laughs> so, um, but also they have comments about like really strong AT&T signal, right? And so things like that, I just developed a process to vet and plan for what, for where I was going to stay before I went, or I would just plan to take time off and plan to be off grid and not really worry about it. So the internet situation was the first thing I figured out. And then mm -hmm. the electrical situation was the second one. So okay. my in my most recent van, I have a lot of power Okay, because <laughs> I just don't want to worry about it. And uh, I have the discretionary income to do that. Not everyone can spend, you know, what I did on my electrical system, but I would highly recommend that you buy as much battery as you can reasonably afford. Um, and then over panel your roof with solar. Um, that is the I almost don't care what inverter or solar charge controller you have. I don't care what brand it is. I've had some off brand for three years. My inverter has been on for three years, basically, because it runs a bunch of 120 stuff and it's okay. fine. You don't have to have a Victron. You don't have to have a really high end system component wise for it to be useful. Okay. Um, so over invest in your electrical system. That's the best thing I can say if you're working full time. That's great advice. I haven't had anyone say that yet. So that's really good advice. And then what about staying connected to the internet? I have the same Verizon plan that I've had for four years. Um, but basically Verizon had this like prepaid unlimited right, you know, plan. And it, it's in the same, it's not in the same, I upgraded the router at some point. I've also dropped that router in water and it still works fine. So, okay. um, I have really put some of this equipment through its paces. Um, and when you I, say router, are you talking about like a MiFi device? Yeah, it's, a okay. it's a little jet pack. So basically yep. it's a SIM card that they sent me from Verizon and I stuck it in it's a call. The current version I have is a MiFi 8,800 L. And yeah. so it's just a 4g modem. Basically. That's what I have. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And it's the most real, it's three years old. It's been dropped in water. 
and it still works great. So, okay. No so you're not, you're not finding you need more than 4g to do your. No, I have 5g in fact on my phone. So here's, so here's my current setup. I have the Verizon prepaid, which I actually am going to gift to my mother because I'm not using that as much anymore. Mm. Um, yeah, she's take she's actually using it right now, but it's still technically something I'm paying for. I have a, an unlimited AT&T plan in a Nighthawk. Uh, it's an, it's a, just a proprietary little square router, just like the Verizon one. And then I have something called visible on my phone. Um, my phone can have dual SIM. And so I pay $25 a month for Verizon. Um, it's party pay. So you get on a group and it takes, it's only 25 bucks and it's unlimited. And so, because I don't use Verizon as much as I used to, I'm actually going to get rid of that other Verizon plan and transition to just the visible. Cause I was testing out visible for the last couple of months to see if it works. And it's been great. And, and when I say this, I mean, I have scientifically tested it. <laughs> okay. I don't know what, I don't know what visible is. Can you explain oh, it for me so and for our so, listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So visible is a third party, um, phone like wireless provider. Right. And so they're actually owned by Verizon proper. And okay. so there's Verizon, AT&T, and now T-Mobile are the big three carriers, right? Mm -hmm. Each of them has a, each of them has kind of like a knockoff brand that they own. Okay. So Verizon it's it's their more budget conscious gotcha. brand, right? Because they can charge $80 or a hundred dollars a month for their Verizon proper customers, but they offer the same thing for often at a much more discounted rate. And so I pay $25 a month for mm. Verizon. Um, AT&T also owns uh, cricket mobile, which is, which is a similar concept. And um, I don't remember what the equivalent for T-Mobile is, but maybe it's Metro PCS. I don't remember, but basically you have these kind of like more, okay. And so I have that budget version and I did a head to head. I did this for months. I paid for both the Verizon on my prepaid, uh, the Verizon modem. And then I had my phone and I would hotspot and at different times of day in different places, I would do speed tests head to head in the exact same situation. So a pretty well controlled experiment and visible was great. It, it outperformed in some cases. I don't know why, because that's kind of weird. You would expect the modem. Yeah. Verizon, but either way, they were very equivalent. Um, and so all I can say is maybe the phone itself has a better, um, because it's, a, it's, it's a new iPhone. It's an iPhone 12, which came out in the last year. It probably has a, has mm. more upgraded cards than my four-year-old or three-year-old, um, Verizon modem. Gotcha. Um, wow. so I use, I okay. use visible and I have a T-Mobile card. So I have three plans that I'm using actively, one that I'll give to my mom, uh, or the fourth one I'll give to my mom. Um, I also have T-Mobile and I use that seasonally. So if I'm going through Canada or going to Mexico, I take the T-Mobile with me and I pay 50 bucks a month for hundred gigs. And I'll tell you what, where T-Mobile exists, it's been great. Um, it's actually the best at my house in the middle of, you mm. know, of a mid-sized city in the Southeast. And um, where, so where there is 5G for T-Mobile, it's fantastic, okay. but, but they've only invested in kind of these short range technologies. So if you are, have the benefit of having a tower near you, it's great, but I turn it off when I'm not using it. <laughs> so I just pause the account. And other than that, I just have the AT&T and the visible, which cost me a grand total of about $50 a month. So I know wow. that's a lot. I'm a nerd. Sorry guys. Um, <laughs> 
That's wonderful. I mean, I didn't yeah. think you could get on the road for like $50 a month with two different plans. So you can get on with $25 a month with just visible. I highly recommend it. Yeah. But it's also important to note that I don't use visible as my primary. I use it for phone, for texting, and I use it as my backup. So AT&T continues to be my, um, continues to be my primary. And so what I would recommend right now, I mean, it's early March, 2021. So these things change all the time. Um, there's a $50 plan that AT&T offers that gives you hundred gig a month. And for most people to be quite candid, that's, that's enough. If yeah. I weren't streaming a lot, um, and I was just working, doing video calls for maybe 10, 20 hours a week, I use about a gig of data for every hour that I'm on a video call, um, at most, that's a good way to kind of like figure out okay. what mobile budget you need if you're doing video calls, but the quality I rarely have to turn my video off because of low quality internet. Yeah, this is great. I've, I've definitely interviewed people where we have to turn their video off. So this is really good. Awesome. Wow. This has been like so yeah. much good information here, Carrie. Carrie, this has been great. I didn't anticipate when we dropped, jumped on today <laughs> that we'd be talking about all the different cell plans, but I definitely yeah. know that it's something that people are concerned about getting on the road. So I really appreciate all your input and especially your scientific take on it. That's been really helpful. Well, good. I'm glad I, if I can, if I can spend money on a problem, study it for a while and share those generalizable results, I am advancing science. Yay. science! Yes. Yay. <laughs> awesome. Well, Carrie, this has been really wonderful. Is there anything that I didn't bring up that you wanted to talk about as far as your life on the road? Not necessarily. I think um, this is a part of my story I haven't had the chance to share yet, which is all my nerdy learning. So thank you so much for giving yeah. me the chance to share that. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And this is going to be a really great um, show for my listeners. So thank oh, you. Cool. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Kathy. It's been great to get to know you a bit better too. I want to thank Carrie again for that interview. Here are my key takeaways. Number one, Carrie started getting interested in RVing by watching others do it on YouTube. She brought her first RV while she was still living in a home and found that to be beneficial because she was able to try it out before going full time. She was also able to figure out in that time what she needed to do to work full time on the road. Number two, when you buy an older vehicle, no matter how pretty it is on the inside, it's likely to have mechanical issues. I know that also I've had a few with my 20 year old van. So just be prepared with some emergency funds and a good tow insurance. Number three, if you decide on a pop-up trailer, keep in mind, you'll have to take it up and down every time you want to move. And it also can be problematic in the wind. Number four, if you're planning to work from the road full-time, over-invest in your electrical system. And number five, you might be able to save some money on your phone plan by choosing the budget brand of the major carriers. And how much data you need will vary, but Carrie finds that she uses about one gig of data for every hour of video call that she's on. Thanks for listening to the Solo Women RV Podcast. Please join our email list over at solowomenrv.com to stay up to date on all things solo travel related. And if you like what you heard today, please consider becoming a podcast sponsor. Details can be found over at anchor.fm slash Kathy hyphen Belge. 
And if you know someone who would benefit from what we talked about today, please share this episode with them or leave us a review over on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really helps and makes it easier for others to find us. The Solo Women RV podcast theme music is Field Station by Nicole Potolsky. And until next week, we'll see you out there on the road.